What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to Car Stuff. This is a special underwater edition of Car Stuff, Bennett. Yes, you've been with us while we go underground, listeners, and you've also been with Scott and I while we go to uh, some different different types of topics that people mm-hmm. haven't usually seen before. Now, when I say underwater, though, I'm sure you probably have already seen in the title of this this uh, podcast that we're talking about artificial reefs, and you may think, well, what the heck does that really have to do with cars? But mm-hmm. you'll find out that uh, there's an awful lot of machinery that's uh, below the surface. Yeah, let's start with uh let's start with one simple observation here, Scott. Uh a lot of ships are huge. Yeah. Very and, big. And uh so huge in fact that when they are decommissioned, uh, a decommissioned ship of course is one that is no longer used on the sea uh or in water. Uh when they're decommissioned, they can actually present a huge problem for disposal. You know, what do you do with this thing? That is longer than most buildings, larger than a lot of buildings, you know? And uh, what we wanted to talk about is something that I think is very out of the box and creative, uh, and a creative answer to this problem. And I'll be honest with you, it gets, it, it touches my soft side a little bit. Does it really? The softy, yeah, the guy, yeah. Hmm, why is that? Because what they're doing, and and we should say this is this is a suggestion that came to us from uh, one of our fellow podcasters. That's right, Sarah Dowdy. Sarah said, uh, you know, hey, I stumbled across this uh, this article in the most recent recent uh, National Geographic that was February two thousand seven's edition, uh, seven. February 2011's edition um, of National Geographic, and the article is titled "Relics to Reefs," and it was about. Well, sinking things and making reefs. Right. And in this article, which I think is by Stephen Harrigan, uh, they cover the um, – they open with the process of sinking a ship, the uh, General Hoyt S. Vandenberg. And now what they're doing is they they take this ship, which is over 500 feet long. They blow it up to get it to, – to try to get it to sink down. And once it sinks down, they basically, they artificially create a shipwreck. And then once it sinks down, 
the hope is that it becomes a habitat for marine life. For, sure. For fish that would normally live in a natural coral reef. Yeah, it's something made of rock or, you know, whatever, whatever mm-hmm, happens to be under mm-hmm. there. The thing is, this, this happened in, uh, well, it was May of 2009, right? Right. And it was, uh, just off of Key West. They said it's seven miles off of Key West. So it's, a uh, it's prime, you know, diving, snorkeling type sure. area. Yeah. Uh, diving, I guess, in this case, because you're talking about a pretty deep, uh, deep sea wreck, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, and it's not something that, uh, is brand new to us. Not I mean, at all. No, we've been doing this for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that, uh, well, one, one of the facts from this article here, is that um, fishermen really enjoy, uh, you know, fishing around under underwater reefs, and uh, they've, they've known that shipwrecks are, are prime fishing, fishing sites, according to the article. Mm-hmm. Um, and since the 1830s, uh, American fishermen have been creating artificial reefs using things like logs that are laced together, um, you know, just branches, sinking, you know, trees that they find on the on the ground. I've I've heard of people doing this uh, around here. If you take Christmas trees mm-hmm. and uh, sink them off of your own private dock somewhere and and create uh, habitat for fish, fish love them. Um, this is not you know the the coral reef that we're talking about, but mm-hmm. um, it turns out that you know when you sink an object like a like a ship. Uh, it just becomes a, a magnet for uh, coral and, and sponges and mm-hmm. starfish and everything. It becomes a breeding ground, really. And we uh, and those fishermen are also uh, not just dropping logs. Uh, they there are other vehicles involved oh, here. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the thing. All right, so yeah, this is where you know back in the 1830s, sure they're sinking logs and they're you know they're creating crafting these uh, these well made, um, very environmentally friendly, I guess. Uh, um, um, artificial reefs in their own little pond or whatever. Sure, it's not the way really a, a beaver would make a dam. Not really a reef. This is more like a fishing habitat. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, the the modern version of this that's mentioned in this uh, in this article. You want to go ahead and list off some of the things? Uh, yeah, sure, Scott. They've got um, subway cars, which yeah. makes sense to me, sure. right? Uh, and they've got uh, oil drill drilling rigs, which is just crazy. Those are huge. Those are gargantuan. Yeah, yeah. and the one that. The one that surprised me the most, battle tanks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Now, you know what? That one didn't surprise me uh, very much at all, really. I, I got to say because um, I had a – I think I've mentioned this guy before. I had a great uncle who worked at General Motors. Yes. He yeah, was yeah. a designer right around, you know, the whole, um, uh, you know, the Corvette days guy. Um, I don't remember the branch of military he's in, but I do clearly remember him telling me that he had a military Jeep that, uh, you know, was part of – he was a uh, – um, he was a soldier. He was a, uh, um, I don't know what position he held. He was an officer, had his own kind of private military jeep for use. And after the war, it was sunk off the coast of Florida as part of a reef. And, you know, it kind of thing that brings tears to his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's no longer with us, but I mean, he, uh, he was, he definitely got emotional when he was talking about it because it was his, his baby for a long, long time. And, uh, the military sank a bunch of these as, as well as tanks and other, mm-hmm. uh, machinery. To create artificial reefs off the coast of Florida, and um, I, I guess I remember hearing that from a long, long time ago. But um, so I know they've been doing it for a long time. I know they've got a lot of um, you know ships as well, large ships that they've sunk. You know what the biggest one is? You do. Don't is you? it? Let's see. I da, 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 da. I'm <laughs> shuffling. You do it. You That's do all right. All right. I'm There's shuffling. a get this, Ben. There is a an aircraft carrier. That we, uh, that we have sunk. The United States has sunk this in mm-hmm. the Gulf of Mexico. The uh, Orskani, right? That's right. Very good yeah. pronunciation. I'm going to 
try to do it myself, but uh, um, where was this? This is about 20 or so miles out from Pensacola, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this was sunk in May, to, May of 2006. Um, here's the, the crazy thing about this, Ben. This is an 888-foot-long uh, ship that they sunk in 212 feet of water. This is the largest ship uh, in the world that's been intentionally sunk as a as an artificial reef. This is just crazy. It's enormous, and you can look at you can watch video of this thing going down. You can watch, um, uh, of course, you, there's there's still photographs, and you can read all kinds of articles about it because it was big news when it happened. And you can visit it too, right? Yeah, that's right. Because it's uh, again, it's a, you it's know, a reef. It's a reef, and it's diver habitat. You know, I mean, well, it's a a fish habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? One thing that I read about this Ben that I thought What's was kind of interesting. It took 37 minutes to sink this thing. You would think it would have taken a lot longer. Now, they used 500 pounds of explosives to do it. Okay. And they thought it would take about four and a half hours to sink. It sank in 37 minutes. Wow. I know. They, they were very effective at sinking this thing. However they did it, they did it really well. Now, a lot of it, um, you know, of course, it was all cleaned out. Because mm-hmm. you think about environmental concerns with something like you this. You want to, especially on a on a warship, you want to get rid of anything that might be hazardous to the marine life. Oh sure, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of junk on those things. I mean, and by junk, I mean that there's, um, well, there's there's copper wire. Sure. There's, uh, there's of course fuel and and you know leftover remnants from electrical wire. Exactly. Yeah. So you got the the same thing I do. That they, they spent eight point four million dollars for the sinking budget. I guess to sink this thing. Now, this is coming from the U.S. government National Artificial Reef Plan. Um, for and, sinking the uh, Vandenberg. Oh, that's for the Vandenberg. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah. that was for for the uh, the. No, the headline. I think the uh, I think the Oriskany is more expensive. I would bet it, it was would larger. Be. Yeah, that's but right. yeah, on the Vandenberg alone, right? Uh, cost them over eight million to sink it, which is funny. You know, it's I still now that's still a 500 foot ship. That's a big ship. It is. It is a big ship. It's a big job. It's a big demolition job. It's just to me, you know, having the emotional issues I have about mm-hmm. spending money already, man. Yeah. Uh, it just seems so counterintuitive to me to spend money instead of instead of like restoring a ship or maintaining it to spend yeah. the money sinking it. Yeah, but you know what? It would have cost ten. You know, I don't know. I'm guessing ten times that to uh, to restore the thing Absolutely. or to keep it afloat, and then sure. they wouldn't really would they have a purpose for it uh, because they've they've advanced beyond that point. You know, it's 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 old tech. So they take out, they take out now, the copper wire, right? Yeah, they take out the copper wire. They take out, you know, they clean the fuel tanks, of course. They clean, you know, the engines are taken out. Um, one thing that I noticed on, uh, let's go back. Guys, I want to talk just for yeah. a moment about the, um, Oriskany. Yes, yes. Um, it, one, one thing that I, actually, I watched this, the sinking of this thing because I couldn't help myself. I had to see it. Um, and it didn't take very long. They did kind of, uh, you know, it, I didn't watch all 37 minutes, of course. I just watched, you know, the, the, uh, the quick version. Just the highlights. Exactly. But, uh, one, one really interesting thing is there was a, a small boat that they had placed on board. Now, this is a rusty aircraft carrier, but there's a boat on top of the deck of this thing. Like where the planes would land? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Where the planes would normally land. And the boat apparently has the, uh, the controllers and electronics to detonate the explosions. And then when the boat, Below it sinks away. This thing kind of floats on. It bobs to the surface, floats on top, and they go re- retrieve that. So the uh, the detonation devices, the relay, I guess, is mm-hmm. is in that boat. So if you watch the video, that's the story with that. Because I, I searched for a while to try to figure out what the yeah. heck that boat was doing there. Um, you know, they keep a safe zone, of course. You know, when they do the blast, because you see the blast, and it's very very impressive. Uh, Five hundred pounds, I think they said of, of plastic ex- explosives Jeez. were used, um, and to blow the holes in the in the uh, in the hull. 
But uh, that boat was just a, a mystery to me at some point. So wait, 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 wait. Was there someone on the boat? <laughs> no, there was no one on the boat. You know, I would totally do that job. Oh, I if it's safe that. enough for the electronics, man, I bet I could make it. Ah, uh, yeah, but what if it gets sucked under with the ship? Because see, this thing, this thing went 212 feet down. Well, that's pretty deep. <clears throat> you know what? I you'd still do it, wouldn't you? Well, I feel like I've made it a matter of public record, Scott. <laughs> now I kind of have to now do it. Now you have to. Sure. Yeah, hey, I one, to. one more quick thing about this before we go move on. Because, Lay it on. Um, Lay it on. Uh, one more little piece of trivia about this boat, this specific Ooh. boat. Um, John McCain. John McCain was was um, a, not stationed, but what would you say, deployed on this boat? Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. He, he, um, this, is the, this is the ship that he took off from before he was shot down over Hanoi when he was uh, captured. You know, oh, he, wow. he spent five years – um, as a prisoner of war in 1967, he, uh, that's, this is the boat that he took off from, uh, before he was shot down. 67. What a, you know, what a weird experience. I wonder if he does, uh, if he dives recreationally or anything. I don't know. Because if, if I was him and I could dive down to that thing, I, I just can't imagine. How I don't know. I don't, I don't know yeah. how, if, I don't know how you would handle it because, you know, a lot of these, um, ships and, and, and military implements that you see sunk, um, a lot of times there'll be veterans on hand that are watching, you know, that maybe mm-hmm. served, yeah. uh, that spent, you know, four terms on this or, or four tours sure. rather. And, you know, they've, uh, they're, they're kind of a little bit teary eyed about it because, uh, you know, this was home to them for so long. It's very strange. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very be, strange to see something like this demolished. Yeah, yeah, it's something but, that saved your life so many times, or, right. or kept you alive in some way, mm-hmm. and uh, and now you're now destroying you're it. it off. Yeah. but but it's not it's not dying. In fact, you could argue that it's having a rebirth. Uh, here's what happens when a reef or when an artificial reef is created. So you you uh, sunk your battleship. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, so or your you know your old refrigerator or your subway car or oh, something. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, um, shopping cart. And what scientists have noticed is that most of these artificial reefs sort of evolve in roughly predictable stages. So mm-hmm. first, uh, first when the current hits something that's an abnormal kind of vertical structure, then it starts making a feeding spot. Uh, plankton, uh, starts really, um, I guess you would say pervading the water. So then your sardines and your minnows come in and who follows your sardines and your minnows, but your predators, bigger fish. Yeah. Your bigger fish to fry the tuna and the shark. And then you see other creatures who come in saying, Oh, this is pretty, this is a pretty nice hole here. There's a little nook or a cranny I can hide in. And that's where you get like your eels and your groupers and other things hiding. And then of course the, uh, the wait and catch you predators like mm-hmm. barracuda show up. And then, you know, months or years later, depending on how the ocean works, the old structure will be covered with algae, uh, coral, sponges. Um, and I think I especially like the phrase that Mr. Harrigan uses here. Uh, so I'm going to quote you, Mr. Harrigan, sprouting life everywhere like a giant chia pet. Very aptly described because mm-hmm. uh, that's what it looks like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it'll take on a form that uh, it doesn't even look like its original self. I mean, I have a major, you know, of course, an aircraft carrier is going to look like an aircraft carrier, I think, for decades. Yeah, yeah. It's going to it's gonna be there it's a long, gonna long time. It's going to have at least that shape. I would think so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it uh, gets a very hairy appearance, appearance mm-hmm. really. Um, lots of, lots of life around it. And that's one of the arguments that uh, some marine biologists are saying is that, now, instead of creating life, because a lot of people see this as a way to 
to, um, and I'm, I'm going to quote the article again, to boost the ocean's capacity to create fish. Yes. Now that means that it creates a breeding ground that is is uh, is likable, you know, to the fish in some way, as some way, um, you know, causing them to to spawn or you know to to bring more life into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, the biologists are argue, some biologists argue that uh, what it does is it draws fish from true reefs, uh, from yes. natural occurring reefs, to mm-hmm. these artificial reefs, which are then fished or overfished by fishermen uh, because they know where the sites of these things are and they know where what's gathering down there. Right. So the the question then becomes, are we actually helping or are we just robbing Peter to pay Paul, as it were? Yeah, exactly. And I like that phrase, by the way. Thank you. I, I like that phrase. Yeah. It's, you hardly ever get a chance to use it, yeah. Yeah. especially because I have a lot of friends named Peter and Paul, so it's just awkward if I, I bring it up. I that used it all the time. And uh, yeah, I've been working, trying to work that in for years now. It took, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. <laughs> no, 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 I don't, I don't mean in the show, I just mean uh, in everyday speech. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you want to take this in kind of a weird direction here? Let's go weird, man. Okay. You yourself could become a reef someday. Ah, uh, yes. Part of a reef anyways. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have an inkling, but I think most people do not okay, know this. Okay, so uh, you can be eternalized, I guess, if you want to say call it that. In, That's a nice in a, in a reef. You could become in a reef, and there's a there's a company here, and uh, one of just one of the companies. I think there are several that are doing. Yeah, this, there's, there's several. There's a company called Eternal Reefs, and what they do is they they mix your cremated remains in a concrete mix that's then poured into this uh, this this uh, shell. I mm-hmm. guess you call it. Um, um, again, an artificial reef structure, kind of like a reef ball, or yeah, something. yeah. They call it a reef ball, or they call it a um, kind of like a beehive, almost the way yeah. it looks with with holes bored through it. Um, very, uh, very fish friendly, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that can adhere. You know, planktons and things like that can adhere to it. Um, but the interesting thing about this is that you know. Well, that's interesting enough already that you can be mixed in with this thing and then placed in these in these designated areas. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, they create this this giant. They're creating a giant reef where they're building a bunch of these together. But it becomes a whole ceremony with your family. Um, you know, they can help in the process of of making the uh, the cast if they like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, adding the remains. There can be a whole ceremony with the thing. You can go out on a separate ship and watch it being lowered, and there'll be a plaque inside the. Uh, you know, um, like a brass plaque, maybe that's that's mounted inside the the, the structure, um, the structure itself, the the concrete. Um, you can you can place your handprint in the structure if you want. Um, you can have uh, cremated pet remains mixed in with your remains if you want to. You can have other cream cremated remains if you want. Uh, let's say a husband and wife want to do this, and you know mm-hmm. they wait until the second person passes away and they create one. Um, it's it's really kind of an interesting angle on this and. I think, you know, there's so far a lot of people have been doing this. I don't know. I don't have numbers on how many have been done to date, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like an interesting option. And it seems, you know, it's it almost is an, it qualifies as another form of what people are calling like green burial, which is, um, yeah. you know, a, a green burial for people who are not familiar with it is essentially the terrestrial version of what people are doing at eternal reefs, for example. Um, and in a green burial, of course, uh, the emphasis is on becoming a part of the landscape, you know, not being, uh, pumped with, uh, a bunch of preserving chemicals and dropped in a concrete box or concrete, uh, shaft. You sure. Know? And there's definitely, uh, there's definitely an argument to make for it. I myself being, you know, as I told you, this is, this thing is hitting my soft spot, this idea that you could save, uh, 
you could in a in a way make uh try to make the ocean a better place um or try to fight against some of the uh extinctions and uh some of the mass deaths that we have in the mm-hmm. ocean nowadays um but I'm glad it's working out for using uh cremated remains to to build effective artificial reefs because we've learned there are things you cannot build a reef with. Ah, very good. You know what? I'm glad you said that because I was going to bring up something called the Osborne Reef. Now, I'm sure that's what you're talking about yes, as well, right? Yes, sir. This is uh this is one of those infamous failures in reef building. Consider this a Scott and Ben mini podcast episode called When Good Intentions Go Wrong. Yeah, this is uh let's call it what not to do. Okay. Okay. Yes. Now, um here's the thing, Ben. <laughs> when when did all this go down? This was uh during the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. During the 1970s, uh there was this idea that they were going to build a a Artificial reef, you know, we've been talking about near Fort Lauderdale, but this is about, I don't know, like I said, in the, in the seventies. Yeah, this, point. this is early mid seventies. Okay. All right. I so think. they have this real good intention of, of building a, uh, a natural, you know, like a, an artificial reef, um, to really expand on a, on existing natural reef. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the, uh, that's the idea. What happened was, and I'll, I'll quote this, it turned into an environmental fiasco is what it says in this article. Yes. Um, I'll go ahead. No, please do. Well, it turns out that although it may sound like a really good idea to take uh, tires out of landfills up to uh, 2 million, I think. Car tires. Car tires, discarded car tires. uh, It may sound like a good idea to take these out of the landfill and make them into something that wildlife can use. But that only works if the wildlife can use it. That's right. Now we're talking 2 million tires. So this is – Tires that would fit on 500,000 cars, okay? Yes. 500,000 cars. That's mm-hmm. a lot of cars. Two million tires. You can imagine what this is like. If you can't, uh, there are photos online. I'll tell you that. So but they built this huge concrete they, foundation, what right? They did, yeah. They, what they did was they, they tied all of these tires together. They sunk them to make this reef. They've got these big clusters of tires, right? Two mm-hmm. Again, two million mm-hmm. tires. That's an awful lot of tires. Mm-hmm. The problem with this is, Ben, like you said – only a good idea if they can use it. And it turns out that vulcanized rubber is not a good uh, material for uh, coral really mm-hmm. to develop on. Not, not a, play, a good place to build. It's not a pl- it's not a, an ingredient in a healthy coral breakfast. No, and no one at this point really knew that. That's the problem. I mean, like they said, they had good intent. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be uh, you know just an absolute uh, solution to the problem because here we're do- we're doing away with a lot of waste on land. Um, hopefully it's going to be put to good use underwater. Not the case. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't so much as everybody wins as no. it was the Osborne Reef Waste Tire Removal Project. Yeah, that's right. Because what happened was it wasn't very long before, you know, of course, nothing really grew on these things. Mm-mm. And not, you know, I mean, you'll see some uh, silt and that's about it on top sure, of them. yeah. Maybe a tiny little bit of things that have just fallen on top of them. Sure. Um, but they all broke apart. You know, whatever's holding them together broke apart and they scattered. Mm-hmm. Then uh, hurricanes hit, um, you know, as they do Florida often. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really, it, it just scattered the tires everywhere. It smashed them into the natural reefs, destroying what was there. Yeah, um, That's probably the biggest thing is that it destroyed that. But it spread out these 2 million tires over an area that covers more than 34 acres, Ben. Which is huge when you consider how long it would take to cover 34 acres oh my gosh. in a way that would let you to pick up that trash. And you know what? They're they're evenly scattered. When you look at photos of this thing, 
Uh, and you can find photos of, of the Osborne Tire Reef. It looks almost purposeful. It does because they're laid out very evenly on the ground and, uh-huh. but it covers 34 acres. And imagine what it takes just to, to surface one tire. Imagine the effort that it takes to bring one tire back up to the surface. Yeah, because this is the this is the seventies. This is before some entire technology we have today. So these tires they they weren't light by any well, means. Well, no, yeah. no. I mean, they're still heavy. They're heavy yeah. no matter what. I right. Mean, these are tires of all types: tractor tires, car tires, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an enormous job. Uh, it was estimated at the time that it would cost about thirty million dollars to clean up the tires. So this is a, you know pr- the problem. Now you've got these. Tires that are doing absolutely no good, but but mm. jamming things up out there and, and causing difficulty. Uh, so, um, Coastal America, an organization whose job uh, to bring, I'm reading from the article yeah. here, an organization whose job is to bring together federal agencies to perform large marine projects, uh, coordinated coordinated an effort to uh, to remove the tires. Okay, this is in 2007, Ben. All yeah. Right? So Coastal America is working with the Navy and the Coast Guard divers who uh, use it as part of a training exercise. Okay, they uh, to and this being doing this, they had to, or actually they were able to reduce the cost from thirty million down to two million because it now becomes a training exercise for the military. Okay. Okay. So they found out that they, they were able to extract about a thousand tires um, each day. From the reef area, okay? Now, that sounds like a lot of tires, right? Mm-hmm. When you're talking about $2 million, okay, now that, it would take three to five years is what they would expect that it would take to do this, right? Wow. And their goal is to remove – and now, it says their goal is to remove about 700,000 of the 2 million tires. Now, that's three to five years to remove 700,000 mm-hmm. at 1,000 tires every day. Right. So that's as we find out later, because I've got an update from. Um, uh, let's see. I don't know where this is from. Anyways, <laughs> let's just. It's it's saying that. Um, yeah, I know that's funny, right? So um, now they find out that it's not possible to continue that rate. Okay. Right. Not yes. possible to bring up a thousand a day every day for the next three to five years, and that's only less than half of the material. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find out that um, you know there's also the problem with uh, weather conditions, um, the assets availability. You know, like when are they going to have the ships available to bring the, the tires up to? Are they going to have the trucks to then haul the tires away once they get them to the processing plant? Um, yeah. It turns out that you know. It, it's just not possible to get that many done. It, this thing is going to take years and years and years and years of extremely difficult work. Um, so right now, I, I don't know where it stands right now because this latest update that I have is from, uh, I think it's from 2009. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it was still kind of up in the air. Now, originally, um, there was a, there's, <laughs> this is way back. This is in like 2001. Um, a small tire retrieval program was conducted in 2001 by someone from uh, Nova Southeastern University, and he had a $30,000 grant from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. That's NOAA. Mm-hmm. And um, get it? He was able to bring up 1,600 tires for from a cost of about $17 per tire. Now that gives you an idea. I mean, the guy had thirty thousand um, dollars for this this retrieval yeah, program. Yeah. Then then we jumped up to you know seventeen dollars a tire. It's kind of that's pretty expensive when you're talking about two million. Uh, so yeah, seventeen times two million. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. What's that? Three point four billion or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm way off on my. I, I'm not a math major. It's right? too much. So yeah, it's too much. Anyways, but so then we jump forward to you know when they're doing this training episode right. and or uh, situation and it just is is 
It's a nightmare, Ben. It's got to be. It really is. Take a look at the photos and you'll see what we're talking about. But this has got to leave a lot of people just holding their heads every day. Like, what what are we going to do to fix this? Now, let's not – now, don't don't be disappointed, listeners. We're not ending this on a down note. We're going to take it up a little. Um, the whole reason we're telling you about this – this example of an artificial reef gone wrong and some of the pros and cons of these is because we want to hear from you guys. Do you think that artificial reefs are a good idea, a good way to dispose of, you know, things like, uh, car bodies or large ships? Um, do you think that they in the long term help or hurt, uh, the undersea Ecology. I was almost going to say economy. Well, of course, <laughs> and you've got to remember the way that they're clean, too. I mean, they have to be uh, – like we, we talked about that Vandenberg, and I yeah. think that they, of the $8.4 million that they spent on the Vandenberg, uh, 70% of that went into environmental concerns and cleaning mm-hmm. of the ship. So um, that's, a, that's a major point, too, is that if you're – you know, this isn't just pushing a car off a dock. Right. This is, yes. uh, there, there's a, a lot involved with this, and, and it's not just uh, you know individuals sinking cars – you know, yes, don't sink your car. Don't no. go sink your car. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's not just someone pushing a car off a dock, at, you know, near a beach mm-hmm. somewhere. It's, uh, it, this is a, uh, an effort by a, a group or, you know, several groups together to make a, an official, um, um, artificial reef, I guess. All right, everybody. So go ahead and think on that and let us know what you think about artificial reefs. A, is it a good idea? B, do you have a better idea? Uh, and C, why? And D, would you, uh, would you go for the eternal reef idea? Would you become part of a reef yourself? Oh, that's a good question. What about you, Scott? Would you? Um, yeah, I think I'd do it. I really, I, I don't have any real tie to the sea though. I'm not, I'm not, uh, a sailor or anything like you're that. You're not a mariner? No. You know, I want to be shot in space, but I'm not an astronaut. I guess technically we will both be. You'll be a submariner and I'll be an astronaut. Oh boy. Yeah. I don't know. Oof. I might go the uh, traditional route. Yeah. So let it, let us know what you think about that. Um, I think I would be okay with being in the coral thing because I would be able to say, well, I'm helping new life or whatever, but man, sure. shot into space, Scott. Maybe I could become part of the bodies exhibit. Oh man. Be careful what you wish for. Uh, they could put me in the seat of a car. Okay. That uh, I would be okay with the driving man. That's okay. what they call me. Weird. Wow. Yeah, it would be crazy. I mean, that's our new profile picture on <laughs> Facebook. Where you can find us, and you can also find us on Twitter and uh, holler at us on our blog, uh, or talk to us directly about artificial reefs, becoming a reef yourself, and your thoughts on the subject uh, at our email. Carstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 
With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com.